My name is Lucas Cooper. I'm the lead pastor here at Bayview Glen Church, and today is a very, very special day for us. And so to kind of kick it off, I, I want to draw your attention to 1 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, there was a time in the history of the nation of Israel, the people of God, thousands of years ago, where the nation of Israel was led by a group of men and women called judges. And the last of those judges was a man named Samuel. And one of Samuel's first acts as the servant leader in Israel, uh, he came up against a familiar foe, a group of people called the Philistines. The Philistines had surrounded the Israelite camp, and uh, the Israelites were facing sure defeat. They were going to be overtaken by this army of the Philistines. And the nation of Israel went to Samuel and said, do not cease crying out to the Lord for us. Just cry out to him, cry out to him, cry out to him. And God says, well, you know what? I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I created the thunder and the lightning. I'll just kind of send some thunder and lightning, confuse the Philistines. Next thing you know, the nation of Israel defeated the Philistines when they were facing sure destruction because of the faithfulness of God. And what I want to draw your attention to is what Samuel did immediately following that victory over the Philistines. What he did was he set up a physical reminder of a spiritual reality. We have a lot of physical reminders of spiritual realities these days. Communion is a physical reminder of a spiritual reality. A wedding ring that Kaya actually dropped in the sand when I was in Florida a couple weeks ago is a physical reminder of a spiritual reality. And in this case, for Samuel, this rock of remembrance, a stone of help, it was called an Ebenezer. And no, that's not Ebenezer Scrooge. Ebenezer literally means stone of help. He set it in the ground and he said to the nation of Israel, this is a physical reminder that when we were faithless, God was still faithful. When we deserted him, he still stuck with us. When we were facing sure defeat, God came along as our help, as the hymn would say, oh God, our help in ages past. And this rock of remembrance, this stone of help, this Ebenezer served as a physical reminder of all that God had done. In 1941, Avenue Road Church was founded downtown in 1970. They called a young man named Arnie Reimer to be their pastor. Over the next eight years, God gave Pastor Reimer a vision to relocate that congregation up here to Bayview and Steeles, which at the time was not Midtown. <laughs> it was in the middle of nowhere. It was kind of an open field, hence the name Bayview Glen. Glen just means open field. And really what you're sitting in today is the, that vision come to fruition. Pastor Reimer served our church for over 20 years as its lead pastor. There was a transitional pastor in the middle there, and then Pastor Annan came and served as our lead pastor for 12 years. Uh, pastor Annan helped this church pay off a chunk of debt God provided. You'll hear more about this that this morning. Uh, we began to reach people for Christ. The church grew under Pastor Annan's leadership. And then just before me, a man named uh, Pastor Dave Lewis served as our transitional lead pastor. Really teed this church up for success in the next generation, next season that God has for us. And so today, our corporate worship, gather worship gathering is this. It's us together setting up an Ebenezer, a rock of remembrance, a stone of help to serve for us as a reminder that God has used us, Bayview Glen Church, as we've submitted to him humbly, as we've allowed the spirit to work in and through us, God has used us to reach the city of Toronto and even to the ends of the earth for the last 40 years, but he's not done with us yet. Because that's what a stone of help, a rock of remembrance serves 
for. It stands as a marker between one generation and the next so that we can look back and go, we don't, uh, we don't stand on the successes or, or God's work in the past, but we know that he's been faithful and we believe that he will do it again, as we've just sung. So this morning, here's what we're going to do. Uh, Pastor Arnie Reimer, Pastor Nelson Annan, and Pastor Dave Lewis are all here with us. And what they are going to help us do is take a look back over the last 40 years. Celebrate all that God has done. Remember his faithfulness. Set up that rock of remembrance and go, do you remember how faithful God has been? And then they're going to help us look forward and encourage and exhort our congregation for the next season of God's ministry. I've asked these three men here to speak to us this morning primarily because I just wanted the Sunday off. I've not asked them to speak so that we could parade some familiar faces in front of you this morning. I've asked them to speak because they have something extraordinary to say to the body of Christ, to this church, to this congregation at Bayview Glen here and now. They're going to come up in chronological order, in the order in which they serve. So Pastor Reimer first, Pastor Annan second, and Pastor Lewis uh, to conclude. And I'll have just a couple of concluding remarks. I'm not going to come up and do the transition in between these guys. And so what we're going to do is, as each of them comes up on platform, one completes and the other comes up, we're going to welcome each of them as is appropriate for uh, a man of God who served our congregation well uh, for so long, each of these men. So... Let's start with your friend and mine who dressed up for the occasion. God bless you. God bless you, man. Thank you so much. You're awesome. Thank you. Thank you. It's a privilege for Francis and me to share with you this special celebration. After 21 years of ministry here, you can imagine that this congregation and place floods our minds with all kinds of wonderful memories that we share. Thank you, Lucas, for allowing us the privilege of being here. 42 years ago, September the 19th, about 50 people gathered in a spot right about there on an empty lot, and President Sylvester took the first shovel load of dirt, and we began the project that is now Baby Glen Church. It's hard to believe that 40 years have passed since then. Avenue Road became Bayview Glen. It was my privilege to have met all five of the pastors who preceded me. Templeton, Carlson, Shepson, Tozer, and Opperman. We stand in their shadow today. I can't forget the gentleman who met me at the door during the first days of our ministry here he took one look at me, sizing me up, and said, Reimer, you have big shoes to fill. And my response was, you're right, so I won't try. I'll just try and fill my own. <laughs> On December 31st, <clears throat> On December 31st, 
1969, Francis and I joined Ken Opperman as associate pastor here. Ken, with the most imaginative effort, wanted to build anew in the downtown area, but that was not to be. When it came my turn to lead, I understood his desire for relocation, but a different path and a different location were needed that would take us where families lived, parking was available, and the cost less formidable. In 1973, after a clear majority vote to proceed by the congregation, this property was purchased. In line, in June, rather, of 1975, we closed the last Sunday service in the Avenue Road building, lustily singing, we're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. Unfortunately, we were only going to Zion Heights Junior High School on <laughs> Leslie Street. And for two years, we held our Sunday services there in the midweek service in a, a Bayview Baptist Church and in another school gym. And none of that was Zionistic at all. Vital to the whole project and to our personal preparation was a visitation of the Holy Spirit in the early 1970s, convicting, cleansing, correcting, renewing, and disciplining us. It was a critical event for all the demands that followed. In a sense, it was an offshoot of what God had begun in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, which happened to be my hometown. Once here, growth was rapid. In the Avenue Road attendance in my day was about 300. I used to say, I preached to more empty seats than any preacher in the Christian and Missionary Alliance. That building sat 1,300 people and we were about 300. In the school, our attendance dropped to about 250. But the very first meeting in this building, there were 500 people that showed up. I'll never forget the site nor its significance as people responded to the call for prayer and dedication to God Almighty for what was ahead. The altar area here was just filled in people down the aisles, kneeling in prayer and praise and commitment to God Almighty. We started here with a debt of about $2 million. Rapid growth demanded that we finish the balcony. We enlarged the Christian education facility, brought on more staff and purchased more parking space, all of which added another one and a half million. And interest rates, you might recall, were running at 15 to 18% in those days. What pressure that brought. But the response of prayer and faith and sacrificial giving, generosity beyond word, was just overwhelming. God intervened and provided in every way. Not once was a payment missed. And the spirit of oneness and of service was incredible, humbling, and uplifting. Through it all, even our missionary giving was increasing, which was a, a wonderful sign of God's goodness. So the goodness and faithfulness of our great God and, and the sense of his presence was truly heart-moving. 
to quell feelings of inadequacy during that time, God gave confirming promises which were supported by the remarkable unity of, of the board and the encouraging enthusiasm of the congregation. It was confirmed further by a, a, a talented and diligent and dedicated staff that served here. They led inspiring music and excellent ministries to children and to youth. It was just a, the kind of thing that brought families to worship with us. You probably already know that in those early years, a prophetic vision was given that the Holy Spirit would do the heavy lifting required for the work of this place. That mightily motivated us. And the biblical directive that was given along with it guided us. It is not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And God did that. When things seemed dark, he gave guidance and, and light. And over and over again, his holy presence was sensed in this place. And we were touched by the goodness of God among us. Humble, believing prayer became a spiritual necessity. Without God's provision and enabling, it just would not have happened. I must repeat, the pastoral staff, the board of elders, godly, gifted, wise people, connected to the congregation and committed to unity, protectors of God's work and God's worker were such a blessing. Volunteer helpers in every department from babies to choir to youth to young couples to seniors, they consistently and dutifully served God and our families and all of us. In the early 1980s, I preached a series of sermons based upon the Pentateuch entitled Lessons on Christian Living from the Children of Israel. The last message was from Joshua chapter 24. Having led Israel into the promised land, Joshua was soon to die. But he left a special legacy and a challenge. He asked for a large stone and an oak tree to be planted by it to memorialize all that God was doing. I thought, what a good idea. And I actually blurted out in the sermon, we ought to find such a stone. And so Grace Ranke began looking around, and she found one just north of here. And it was a monster, but perfect. Howard moved it at his own expense, prepared a site for it, and brought it here in a semi-trailer truck with a, with a crane. And as they were trying to put the stone in place, the, the thing actually lifted the, the side of that whole truck up off the ground. And we wondered what in the world was going to happen. But it stands outside the door of this church today. And on that plaque are the words of Joshua chapter 24 and verse 24. When all was in place and the oak tree beside it and rain showers following, falling, 
We stood at the front entrance and in the windows, along the windows in the foyer, and dedicated to God and to his glory the stone, the tree, the plaque, and ourselves. And we quoted in unison the words that are on that plaque. We will serve the Lord our God and we will obey his voice. We will serve the Lord our God and we will obey his voice. Would you say that with me? We will serve the Lord our God and we will obey his voice. God grant it. Beloved, great is our God and greatly to be praised. Never, never forget whose we are and whom we serve. Uphold the, the truth of his word. Listen carefully and expectantly to the Holy Spirit who longs to say, he does say, sometimes we don't hear, but he says it, this is the way, walk in it. Lift high the name of Jesus. Depend upon his sufficiency. Understand the work of the cross and live it and prepare for persecution. Prepare by understanding what the armor of God is all about and make sure you know what each piece is and how it fits in your personal person experience. Know what it means to die to carnality. Governments and some groups of people seem to like us less and less, and that will continue. But we look for the glorious return of our Savior and Lord. We believe that he will have the final and ultimate victory, and we will occupy until he comes here and right around the world as he gives us enablement. So, beloved, here again, the promise God gave to us and live it. At home, at work, school, play, learn, learn and live. Zechariah's word from God to his people. It is not by might, nor is it by power. It is by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Father, I pray in Jesus' name your special guidance and blessing upon Lutus as he leads this congregation. I ask for the board of elders that you give them wisdom and all other dealings and leadership. And I pray for every member of this congregation. Work in each of us to will and to do of your good pleasure until the trumpet sounds and you come again. In your holy name, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. It's a delight to be back here at Bayview Glen and uh, always feels like home. 
It is, however, the first time in my life that I have been part of a platform made up of three old white-haired men. That, uh, I won't talk about who's the oldest or who's the youngest, but I'm in the middle, definitely. <laughs> if we had lots of time, I mean, if we let Pastor Reimer loose, I mean, he could talk for two hours about the stories of God's faithfulness and the challenges that they dealt with, etc., and uh, I could go for at least an hour. So I could talk to you about the time we chased horses up Bayview Avenue and had to bring them back down across the steels in traffic, but I won't. We don't have time for that story. Uh, the other day, I, I uh, got to ride in a Tesla for the first time. A pretty impressive car. But you know that when we measure people, we don't measure them by whether they drive a Tesla or a Civic. We don't measure them by... Uh, whether they live in a $2 million house or they can hardly afford to rent their apartment. Uh, we are measured by God and we measure one another. Have you made a faith commitment to Jesus? Have you become a loyal follower of Jesus? That's what life is really all about. And then are you growing in him? Are you growing in the knowledge of God and are you growing in the experience of God? And if that's happening in our lives, then we are more loving year by year, and, and we are more willing to serve year by year and to share the good news of Jesus with others. And that's what we want to see in individual lives, and that, of course, is what we want to see in a church. We can't talk so much about the historicity of that. We can talk about some of the things we've seen God do. And uh, I think as I heard discussion before all of us getting together on this, we may speak about the building a little bit more only because it is a physical, clear reality, but we know God measures different things than that. When I came here uh, to Bayview Glen, it uh, was a wonderful gift to, to have this lovely sanctuary that was larger seating capacity-wise than before because the platform once only went back to, was about back here, and so we had another two or three rows of chairs, and back in those days, we didn't have the technical and, and uh, video uh, strength that we had, and so there was no technical booth back there. The only technical were sound people way up behind the balcony. So we lost chairs there as well, and I think it sat about 900, and so Pastor Arnie uh, Reimer and all those who went before me did a wonderful job in uh, bringing the congregation here and building this building. They, uh, he mentioned there should have been a gasp from all of you who are under 50 years old when he said that the interest rates, when they were borrowing money to do this and to buy the parking lot, the upper parking lot, et cetera, interest rates, he said 15 to 18%. I believe one time I saw him say in, in a secondary document that I examined, he said, we're getting another loan and we are so thankful that we're only paying 18% this time. Now that should cause a gasp in this day and age of two and three and 4%. And yet, the giving was so great. Uh, he left this wonderful building. It was not quite complete, and he left $1.3 million in debt. But uh, it was wonderful, a privilege for me to come. Jan and I had uh, been led by God. We, we were repeating that phrase, that scriptural phrase, we will obey the Lord. That was our commitment when we got married, that we would do that. And, and so God took us to Japan for a year and then to Edmonton for 12 years. And then, by his grace... He allowed us to thaw out in Florida for eight years after Edmonton. And uh, we were quite comfortable there. We had, by that time, we had dual citizenship. Jan's American, I'm Canadian. 
And I got a call from Tyndale Seminary saying, would you come up, consider coming up and becoming the homiletics, the preaching pastor? And I said, no, but I'll certainly try to help you find somebody. And then a second call and then a third call. And I thought, maybe, Lord, you're saying something. And Jan was sure we probably ought to do this. And I wasn't. And, uh, but after some time, uh, we want to obey the Lord. And so we came. And I thought it was come to work with Tyndale and to work with the family of churches that I'd grown up in and I'd ministered to then by, for 20 years or so, the, the Brethren churches in the city of Toronto and elsewhere. They're often their buildings are called chapels. And then to my surprise, the second year at Tyndale when the school was in financial difficulty and I thought I might have to step back to be a part-time uh, teacher, I got a call one day in the early spring or, or late winter uh, saying, uh, Nelson, would you be willing to come and preach for one Sunday at Bayview Glen Church? Now, I'd been here at a Tyndale Seminary graduation, so I'd been in the building, <clears throat> and I was impressed with it. Uh, rightly or wrongly, I'm impressed with large, and I'm impressed with numbers, and I thought, boy, this is a lovely facility. I'd been in only two other Alliance churches, once each, uh, in Western Canada. And when... I got that call, I had one Sunday free, and I said, sure, I could come on that Sunday in July. And when I put the phone down, now I had no knowledge of the Alliance, only been in three different buildings one time. I put the phone down and I thought, God, I wonder if you want me to pastor that church. I was like, from out of the blue, crazy thought. I have no Alliance background. I've never pastored a church more than 400. Where did that come from? And I started a journal. I haven't journaled often in my life. I just started a journal, and I titled it, This Crazy Thinking. It always, always pays to obey the Lord. And so if you're struggling with any kind of decision right now, wondering where God is leading you, just stay open and just say, God, I'm willing to go where you want me to go. I'm willing to serve. I want to obey you wherever. And so we were brought from Florida to Toronto, which was my hometown, not so much to teach at Tyndale, I finished a third year there and then taught part-time for a couple of years, but to come here and have 12 wonderful years of ministry here. Now, when I came, people were pretty suspicious of me because I didn't go to an Alliance school and I didn't uh, attend an Alliance church and I'd never served an Alliance church. I saw Bob Gould in the foyer before. He won't speak to me afterward, but I'll tell you this. Um, He's a friend and has served this denomination well as a district superintendent, as a pastor, and actually was the interim pastor here for a couple of years after I came. But uh, after I had said, Lord, is this the church you want me to pastor? Nine months later, took the church a while, but finally, uh, they said, would you candidate here? And I said, of course. Why'd you take so long calling me? No, I didn't say that, but... But God made me wait, and so those of you who are waiting right now for God's direction, it's not surprising. And I always remember my interview by Bob. He probably won't, and maybe I've got a little bit paraphrased here. But he's an imposing man, much larger than me. And he sat behind the desk, and I came in, and the, he said, so the church wants you to be the pastor of Baby Glen. And he said something like this. He said, I gave them 40 resumes of alliance pastors and they give me you they <laughs> uh, didn't i don't think he had that last phrase but that was the implication uh, as i say we're friends now and i'm very thankful for him and i think he trusted me after a while but there was some suspicion 
And uh, in fact, at one time, uh, one of the elders who made life a little difficult for me for my first couple of years, um, he came to an elders meeting and he said, why, he didn't say you, why has someone take the word alliance off of the sign in front of the building? And I knew his implication was, you're undercutting this church being an alliance church. And I said, I don't know. I don't notice signs that much, and I have no idea. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Turned out, it had never been on the sign. <laughs> it had always been just Bayview Glen Church. But, uh, so some people were suspicious for a while. And in fact, some of them never got used to the fact that Arnie Reimer was not in the pulpit. Even though uh, Ken Opperman had been uh, interim pastor for a couple of years, uh, this was a beloved founder in this building, and rightly so, they loved him. And and uh, they were irritated that I was in his place. But for the most part, we had a wonderful years here. Let me tell you about just a couple of things that happened. Uh, one of them was that uh, we had an entrance. When I first came in the, if you come in the upstairs, and some of you who've been here a long time will remember that, the entrance upstairs was nothing like this elegant sanctuary. You walked in and there was a wall and you could go left into the classroom that's often called the hub upstairs or you could turn right and go downstairs. And that was that narrow stairway that some of you have never taken. Down, that goes down, comes out in the children's education wing. Uh, that was the only way you got downstairs, either outside around or down those stairs. There were no stairs here, no entrance. The entrance was a wall. And so the rest of the building needed to be completed upstairs. They had stretched their finances, done the shell, but not finished it. And so how are we going to get that completed? We're still paying off a $1.3 million mortgage, which was a lot more significant 20 years ago. And uh, one time, I just don't know where it came from other than the Holy Spirit. I thought, you know what? I know the national office needs to move, and they're looking, and they haven't found a building. I wonder if they would come in and build those offices for us. And then we'd give it to them rent-free for three, four years, and then when they were ready to leave and buy their own building, uh, they would discount their expense by the rent that we didn't charge them, and then we'd be ready to pay it off. And, and sure enough, they did that. So they built those offices, and we hired the right architect who said, you've only got that one little stairway down there. You know what? If we cut some beams and jigger things around, we could put that big stairway down, which we all enjoy in this building. Uh, we might have built it and not had that. Wouldn't that have been crazy? So that was one wonderful way that God provided for part of the building being completed. And then, of course, we had another section, the gymnasium and the kitchen and uh, the elevator, washrooms and foyer back there. Uh, how are we going to come up with money? And we did a, a bit of a, uh, an effort to uh, see if people would pledge enough money to take care of the, inter the mortgage and, and build that, and, and we just weren't up to it. And so in God's timing, we waited and then one day, a couple of men came and visited me, and I think someone else was with me at the time, and said, uh, we're interested in that little piece of property across the creek. I had looked over the creek, but hadn't gone there, and probably nobody else had either. And it was part of the purchase of the original move here, but it was land that we couldn't get to unless we built a bridge. It was of no value over there right on Bayview, and it was kind of uh, in the slope there. And they said, we give you, I think they said maybe fifty dollars or $100,000 for that. And he said, that's interesting. We'll think about that. They came back several months later, and they made a formal proposal. They said, 
we'll give you $300,000 for it because they're building an apartment. They want to build an apartment and they've got to have a larger footprint of land. Thankfully, we said, we'll think about that. And we formed a committee. I think it was led by Dennis Reeve. Pastor David Lokes was on it. A couple of other people who played an important part. And I'm sorry, I don't remember their names. And uh, that committee really worked. And eventually, they gave us $1.3 million for that piece of land that we couldn't use. And so with that, we first of all gave away 20% of it. We gave $100,000 to Summit Community Church, which was a church that we had planted together. And uh, we gave away a large other portion of money to missions. And with the rest of it and with the giving of the people, we were able to complete the building by the grace of God, the supply of God. Great days, great days to see them. Just to me, one of the other highlights was uh, we'd, we'd grown. We had started a second. I didn't mention to you, you would like this also. When I was coming in, uh, Bayview had kind of plateaued, and where it had been cutting edge, it was now kind of plateaued and, and fairly conservative. And uh, when I came to the church in my final interview in uh, Basin, one of the one of the men's homes, I just got a flashback of that basement setting, uh, the oldest elder uh, there uh, said to me before our conversation was over and before they said, right, we want you to be our next senior pastor. He said, but there will be no drums in the sanctuary, right? And I sort of promised that to him. And so when it came time, we started a second, it, it, we made it the 915 service. When we started that service, uh, worship uh, teams were just starting to be out there. It was kind of a, a groundbreaking thing, and, and we were allowed to have drums in the first service, not in the second service, organ, piano only in the second service. But, but we were moving ahead, and by the grace of God, uh, the church continued to grow in size. But there are three ways that a church can grow. It can grow by transfer growth when people move from one church to another. That really doesn't expand the kingdom of God. It can grow by wake-up growth. That is, people who've drifted away from God, now they're coming back to him and they join the church. That's kind of nice growth. But the best kind of growth, of course, is when people are coming to a new faith commitment who are just coming to the Lord and they come into the church and they grow in the Lord. And that wasn't happening nearly as much as it should. And so... Just then, the year of 2000, there was a wonderful couple who I didn't know very well. They uh, left us for nine months every year, and they went off to Russia and were serving him there. They'd come home for three months, retired school teachers, Keith and Barb Murley. And when they came home and said, that's the last time we're going to Russia, I asked them to come in because I'd been convicted. We've got to do something. And one evangelistic tool that I knew was working was Alpha. And so I said, Keith and Barb... I'd really love to see us start Alpha in this church. Would you be willing to lead it? And they responded, Nelson, this is our church home, so we were going to continue to attend here, but we came back saying we've got to be involved in Alpha somehow. And so together we caught the vision at the same time, started that ministry that ran three times a year to over about 36 weeks a year, uh, three sets of Alpha, and that kept running after we left. 
and hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of people attended Alpha, learned about Jesus, learned about the gospel. And there were times when we started for a while, we would put roses up on the platform when we knew we heard of someone coming to faith in Jesus. And it was so exciting. Often we'd have one or two or three roses. It was a wonderful period of seeing people come to Christ through Alpha, which, praise God, just started up again a couple of years ago here after, after it was a bit of a lull at Bayview Glen. And a wonderful place to bring your friends to come to know Christ. So I think of other things. There are many we could talk about. But maybe I should also uh, be realistic. Um, it's not always easy to lead a church. And it's very seldom that everybody in the church says, what a great decision the pastors and the elders have made. There are often people who, who are not quite sure, and some are early adapters to change, some are late adapters to change, some are never adapters to change. I think when I ended my 12 years, there were some people still longing to have Pastor Arnold Reimer be the senior pastor, and uh, that's not unusual for that kind of thing to happen. And so there were times when I struggled thinking, Boy, not everybody's on board as we're moving into this area or doing this kind of thing. And I just want to challenge you that while that happens often in churches, it really shouldn't. It really shouldn't. If we recognize pastors and elders as leaders of the church, then we're to be followers of them. And we are to pray for them. And if we disagree with them, we should tell them, you know, we don't think that's a good idea. I'm, I don't know why you're doing that, but I don't think it's a good idea. It's quite right to come with the right attitude, but to share that. They need that kind of feedback. And elders and pastors should be humble enough, aware enough that we all make mistakes, that we listen to those who disagree with us and sometimes need to say, well, you're right, I thought I had the best idea. I thought we had the best idea, but it's not the best idea. And so there needs to be that kind of interaction. But when decisions have been made, then the body of Christ needs to say, you know what, we're in this together. And we need to be unified. Our Lord Jesus prayed that they may be one, even as you and me, Father, are one. And some of us just don't work at that enough. And so I want to challenge you. The leadership here is not like the leadership in Pastor Reimer's day or my day or even in Pastor Lewis's day. The leadership's always changing like the congregation changes. And though they make may make less mistakes than we made. We all make mistakes. We needed your prayer. And we need people to be unified. There are some in my time, perhaps not in Pastor Reimer's time, when I knew our church would be better if they had left. But they remained and criticized. There are many spiritual gifts given to the church, but criticism is not one of those spiritual gifts. And so my prayer for you would be that you would stay unified behind your leaders, right or wrong. God has given them this privilege, given this responsibility, and they answer to him. How is a church evaluated? I like numbers and I like big. But what I know really counts before God is what I said at the beginning counts with regard to people. That we are becoming more and more a church where people are coming to faith commitments in Jesus and then growing to know him better and experiencing him better. And that's our prayer for each of you and for this church. That the leaders will be bold and yet humble. 
that they will be strong and yet loving, and that they will have others in the congregation who say, right, that's a big responsibility. We will pray for them, and we will work at not dividing, but uniting. Hear the word of God in Philippians chapter 1. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Contending for the faith, just like you were one person because we are united in Jesus Christ. And so from a distance in Calgary, my wife have over the years and continue to do so, God bless Lucas, bless his pastoral team, bless the elders team, bless this church. God needs in this community, in this city, for this church to continue to grow as people come to Christ. God bless you all. So we don't have another service after this, do we? So I can go as long as I want then, right? Yeah, right. I said to Lucas, Lucas, um, do you really know what you're asking when you have three pastors and give them eight to ten minutes each? Um, that's not going to happen, likely. Hey, just to say thank you for all of you who um, still have my phone number on your smartphones, and when you think you're calling our son, you actually call me. <laughs> I've had some great serendipitous conversations uh, that way, so um, yeah, keep it up. What a delight for me to join with uh, Arnie and Nelson here to be with you today. Um, as I was thinking about this day, I, I kind of reflected back on, uh, I knew Bayview Glen when it was back in the Avenue Road days, uh, because as a young guy, I grew up in Hamilton, just down the QEW, and attended an Alliance Church there, and, and we, we all knew about uh, Avenue Road Church and the great ministry reputation um, that it had. And so when I heard that the building was being sold and the church was relocating, I wondered how that would impact the congregation in the future direction of the church. But here we are, 40 years strong. So here's my takeaway from the past. I recall hearing that after the church building had been sold to perhaps a less than desirable client for some, the church held a lifting the dedication service. And I actually checked with Arnie before uh, saying this to make sure that I was accurate in that uh, recollection. I'd never heard of a church having a lifting the dedication service before. So it was kind of novel to me. But for me, it signaled the fact that although the congregation acknowledged buildings may be necessary, you did not let the building define who you are as a church. As a young guy going into pastoral ministry, it helped shape my understanding that the church is not a building you go to. It is a presence. The presence of Jesus, the head of the church, that you bring into a community outside the walls of a building. Who knows? 
there may come a time when this current facility will have run its course. And so I would hope that there would still be the recognition that although it is natural to develop an attachment to a church building, what happens inside these walls only matters as it equips and empowers you to bring Christ into your decision-making and relationships beyond this place. In this way, the body of Christ will be built up to do the work of God and advance his kingdom. It was apparent to me that you were willing to move out into insecure space because you believed that God was calling you out. And for this, I thank you. It left a lasting impression on me as one trying to find his way in addressing church leadership. Well, when I joined the pastoral team as the transitional lead pastor in January 2012, the church had cycled into space that is not unusual for a church that has been in existence as long as Bayview. The successes of the past were only a reflection in the rearview mirror, and there was a growing sense of lostness. People who study these things have concluded that churches typically go through growth cycles. There is the, the initiation phase where vision and passion are strong. Then there is a maturing stage where emphasis is on deepening the roots to sustain the health and production of the church on its mission. However, there can come a point in the maturing stage when focus becomes more about maintenance than pursuing mission, and the church can go into a period of decline. Often when this happen, happens, churches try to go back to what has been successful in the past. That seldom or if ever works. It is not the calling of the church to go backwards. The church is called to advance the kingdom of God and to bring the message of the gospel to bear upon an ever-changing culture. And so along with the rest of the pastoral team and elders, we began to ask some questions to see how we could learn from the past with the intention of rekindling a missional presence in the conversations that define Bayview. This involved some hard slugging and pushing through periods of frustration. But one evening, it came together when one of the elders summed up our discussion with three phrases, glorify God, foster community, make disciples. These statements resonated with the rest of the leadership group and took on the purpose of refining core values of the church and instructing the search team in the calling of a new pastor. I recall after settling on these three descriptive statements, the remark being made, how is this different from any other church? I responded by saying that the difference will be in whether or not you actually follow through with what you have said. Too many churches make statements about their mission and then let them collect dust in a binder somewhere on a shelf. And so it would appear to me, although I must admit my observations are made from a distance, that you have followed through on what you have agreed upon. The staff hires, the shift in programs and ministry focus would say to me that you are on mission. Sure, there may be tweaks in wording and emphasis, but overall, you have remained on target in reinventing your focus for a prevailing future. Which brings me to the one thing I would like to say to you in moving forward. It has been my observation and my own experience that we often take upon ourselves a role in advancing the kingdom of God that we were never intended to take upon ourselves. And often we get worn out. 
We act as if it was all up to us to grow the church, to build community, to make disciples, to do whatever we think will bring success. Often in the midst of our struggles, we conclude that we must do more, that we must try harder, that we must pray more intently, we must look on the brighter side. And it may be that this kind of approach can bring some relief. But for a deeper change to happen, I need a greater power than what doing more can provide. There are limits to what my efforts can accomplish. And so here's what I'm learning that I'd like to leave with you. When it comes to responding to what is overwhelming, try softer, try less, try different. There is a fresh wind blowing to lift you up. The wind is the spirit. It is not you. You cannot push the wind. The wind must be allowed to carry you along. Trying softer means focusing more on God's presence and promises than my own efforts. It means being more relaxed and less self-conscious, less pressured. When I try softer, I am less defensive, more open to direction. I learn better. I stay patient. I rely on the graciousness of God. I replace my anxiety with trust. I take the Spirit up on His divine service of being my helper, of knowing me better than I know myself, of birthing in me life-giving presence. Richard Foster has written, In our day, heaven and earth are on tiptoe, waiting for the emerging of a spirit-led, spirit-intoxicated, spirit-empowered people. Such people will not emerge until there is among us a deeper, more profound experience of the Emmanuel of the Spirit, God with us. A knowledge that in the power of the Spirit, Jesus has come to guide his people himself. An experience of his leading that is as definite and as immediate as the Old Testament cloud by day and fire by night. And so let me say that I believe that the Holy Spirit longs to become your source of godly empowerment. He desires to guide you into the space where you will live confidently in his presence and his provision. It is the Spirit who energizes you in fulfilling your calling to be the body of Christ in your community. He stands ready to help, but he will not come into your midst with his transforming power uninvited. You can invite him in. You can be filled by his presence. You can experience the dynamic of the power of God activating your capacity to flourish as a church body. So don't wear yourselves out. Try softer. And here, Lucas knows what's happening, but I went off script a little bit to uh, talk to him about some things. Um, Lucas, what I said in the first service, I was just kidding. Okay. <laughs> not really. Not really. <laughs> you know, I lay awake a few nights after Lucas sent us all an email inviting us to be a part of this day, wondering what it is that God would have me say to you. And so I've shared some of it from a script that I have tried to keep within my time limit, but since we don't have a service afterward, I can go off script a little bit, perhaps. I was reading through the uh, Pentateuch. Um, I tried to read through the Bible in sections. I just, that just worked for me. 
And so I was reading through the Pentateuch, and I was in Numbers chapter 8, and I got to the end of Numbers chapter 8, and I read this instruction of Moses to the Levites. Moses said, tell the Levites that they are to start to work in the temple at the age of 25, and when they are 50, they are to retire. I thought, that's interesting. I'm glad I'm not a Levite. I've kind of blown by 50 a few years ago. I'm the youngest, in case you were wondering. Of all of the <laughs> but as I read that, I, I continued on to read, and, and Moses went on to say that, God spoke through Moses, went on to say that the Levites weren't done when they retired. Just their, cha- their, their role was going to change. They were to stand on guard. They were to, be, they were to guard the, be the guardians of the temple and the Levites that were working there and come alongside and, 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 and encourage and work alongside of them. And so Lucas, as I said in the first service, I love you, man. I really do. Again, maybe not as much as your community guy, but, 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 I, but I love you. And I want to say to you that I want to fulfill the role of a Levite by coming alongside, of being your guard, of having your back, of helping in whatever way that I can. And I really think that, although I haven't talked to Arnie and and Nelson before this, I kind of think that they would agree that we want to be here for you and, and help you. Because we just believe, we all believe, that God has an amazing plan for this church that we have no idea what that may look like. But as we are faithful and as we walk consistently with him, support our leaders, come alongside and be a united front, this city will never be the same. God bless you all. Thanks again, man. Appreciate you. Love you. Right. Right. Several months ago, uh, Pastor Andy Cherry and I and a little video crew went up to Pastor Reimer's home up in Barrie, spent a day with him, videotaping him, sharing some stories of Bayview Glen Church. And right at the beginning of that interview, before the cameras started rolling, uh, Arnie complimented me on my hair um, and was quick to add that if I stayed pastor at Bayview Glen, my hair would soon look like his. <laughs> so if you look at the three former pastors of Bayview Glen here with us this morning, and I, uh, I see more these days. Uh, I would, I would tell you from, from my heart, uh, and I want to talk to Baby Glenn the last 40 years and the next 42, but I would tell you from my heart, and, and I think I can speak on behalf of these guys, it's an honor to serve you. It really, it really is a joy. And I know... <laughs> Arnie for, for more than 20 years, Nelson for more than a decade, and Dave uh, for those few years, and now did us an even better favor is giving us his son to work as a community pastor. We're even more grateful for that, Dave, really. Um, I, I mess with Dave because, because the first Sunday I was here, uh, just so you know, Dave was nice enough to tell all the other pastoral staff to wear suits 
that morning, and he failed to inform me just so I would look like the idiot. So this is what, this is the kind of relationship that we have. And, and I would say to each of you, uh, Arnie, Dave, and Nelson, um, it just it, it, even Dave, as you maybe spoke on behalf of those guys too, I, you don't have to tell me that you stand on guard for me. I know you do. Thank you for telling me. Thank you. I love you too, and I appreciate that. But each of these guys, I've called them on a number of occasions, panicked. You know, what do I do? Help me. He said, well, let's just talk it through. Let me pray for you. Let me love you. Let me support you. And these are men of God who have served me, me, well, and our congregation well. And it's not just today. It's for the last 40 years. So would you join me one more time in thanking them for all that they've done? Don't sit down. If you would, just remain standing. I'll be really, really brief. I'm not going to take an extra 10 minutes like the rest of these guys did. Um, two things. Baby Glenn in the last 40 years. One, two words. Two words. Thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your radical generosity. Thank you for the faith it required. To, to move up here, to do what you did, to reach this city, thank you. As I've heard it said before, if we see any further now, it's because we stand on the shoulders of giants. And we are so, so grateful for the Bayview Glen of the last 40 years. And to the Bayview Glen of the next 40 years, here, here's what I would say. Do not grow weary in doing good. Because you know that in due time, you'll reap a harvest of righteousness. Don't grow weary. Don't get tired. Uh, stand on the words of the prophet as Arnie reminded us this morning not by might, not by power but by my spirit says the Lord so don't grow weary try softer as Dave reminded us this morning keep the unity and don't grow weary in doing good because you know that in due time you'll reap a harvest of righteousness God is not done with us Bayview Glen Church and we stand here this morning reminded this Ebenezer, this stone of help this rock of remembrance that God has been faithful for 40 years and he'll be faithful until, as Arnie said this morning, the trumpet sounds. So do not grow weary in doing good. Because you know that in due time you'll reap a harvest of righteousness. This morning is not about B.B. Glenn's 40th birthday. It's about Jesus and the greatness of our God. So as we close together, let's lift our voices and sing about his greatness together.